Well, Brandon, clearly one major talking point in the game. Everybody been asking for it. We've got VAR. And is there yet more drama to come here? I'm obviously really, really happy with VAR. Ask us to the VAR people, please. Don't ask to me. For me, it's very clear. VAR is for say, is good or is not good. The VAR brings the truth to the game and everybody accepts it. Welcome to the VAR Booth Podcast. I'm your host, Coach H. And today we are going to be discussing one of my favorite topics uh, about uh, soccer or football, depending on where you are in the world. Today we're talking about how to coach game intelligence. Um, if you notice, a lot of people tend to say that here in the United States, uh, a lot of players lack game intelligence and um, uh, and they're more uh, sort of like coached or geared for athleticism as opposed to in Europe where, uh, you know, game intelligence is more taught uh, as opposed to, um, you know, prioritizing athleticism the way it's done in the United States. That's just the general uh, sort of a consensus uh, amongst uh, the grapevine, I would say. Uh, but that's the reason why we're having this topic today. And and my two guests are, are two very experienced coaches, uh, one coaching in the United States and one um, coaching in uh, in Europe, I believe, in Spain. So uh, without further ado, um, let me introduce uh, my two coaches. My first coach uh, guest is Coach Ibra uh, Torre. Um, out of uh, New Jersey, but apparently I know that he's in the midst of OCD re- relocation. Coach Ibra, how are you? I'm good, Coach H. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. I'm excited. This is uh, just just so you know, you are you are giving me my uh, podcast debut, so I'll, I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, Coach Ibra. Just give us a little bit of a, a brief history on your your playing career and obviously your coaching career as well. Of course, of course. Um, so, Coach H, I'm originally from um, Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast. Um, so, I've been playing the game since uh, the age of six. Um, I think you you have a decent idea of how it is on on our continent. It's uh, yes. It's, it's we don't have we don't have ten thousand options like they do here in the states. Um, yes. So you you know you you grow up into it. It's it's uh, it's a way of life. You watch it, you finish watching it, you go on the field, you play. Um, that's just how it's done. So anyways, um, I grew up in that environment. I moved in the States when I was um, just at the age to go to high school. So when I was at around around 14 years old is when I moved to the States. Um, and it's uh, and I've been playing ever since. I played in, um, I played in high school, obviously. Um, college was a little bit different for me just because um, my my parents' mentality was definitely um, more oriented towards go to college for school, not for soccer. Um, Obviously being African. Exactly, exactly. So that that comes with it as well. Um, So I I did not play at a very high level um, in terms of um, college soccer. but it's been a, you know, it's been a, it's, it's been a passion. And, um, you know, I, I did the school thing, obviously, um, got a master's degree in sport management. So I was always, uh, I was, I was always, you know, my mind was always towards the idea of being in sports and, you know, focus, yeah. focus on the idea of uh, making the, making a difference, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, impacting the game. 
Um, and so from, from there, I transitioned to coaching. Really, I've been coaching since uh, 2009, but I want to say that, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, coaching, I guess, out of pro, uh, in a professional way really started for me in um, 2013 um, when I started with the Red Bulls um, out of New York. Just amazing experience for me. Met some amazing people, um, some amazing um, coaches, educators. Um, and from there, it was <laughs> from there it was it was a no brainer for me as far as you know what I wanted to do. Um, so, anyways, I was I was with the Red Bulls for two years. Um, great experience, learned a lot. Um, from there, I ended up in um, Tallahassee. I know it's kind of random, um, but I, I, I <laughs> very, it, it is random. But I I went there for um, for to start a PhD program. Um, and and at the same time, it, it, I never wanted to let go of coaching, so I I kept that as well and and worked with a club down there um, that's called Tallahassee Tottenham Hotspur. Um, that it's a it's a great club that has an affiliation, obviously, with um, with Spurs in England. Uh, yeah. And that was uh, that was that was also a phenomenal experience for me. Um, my stay there was cut short because unfortunately I had um, my my mother got sick back home. Um, so my my plan to stay there longer got a little bit um, I had to change. Um, because of that, I ended up being um, moving out and heading back to um, to um, the continent for a little bit just to stay with her and make sure she make sure she was okay. And eventually I moved back to the States in 2018. Um, and that's where I had a chance to um, work with PA Rush in PA, um, yeah, which has been, uh, yeah, in Pennsylvania, which has been, um, has been great. So I've been here now for two years. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's there again, just met some phenomenal people, um, some great kids, great families. Um, yeah, and it's uh, and it's my my time here is coming to an end as well. But it's I would say that that uh, that's a that's a good way to to sum up my journey. Yeah, that, no, that's definitely awesome. Rush being one of the best uh, sort of like uh, coach, uh, sort of a youth club conglomerate in the United States. My uh, my second guest uh, is uh, someone that I've actually I've I follow for for a few months now uh, because he does a lot of work. Uh, on social media, um, he, he does a lot of uh, uh, you know planning and uh, sessions, and he shares a lot of his knowledge with coaches on the social media. Uh, Coach Harry Carson, um, who is uh, English, but I believe yes, he coaches in Spain. Coach Harry, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, I'm well. Uh, just get, give us your uh, uh, you know playing and, and coaching background a little bit. Okay, well, keeping a long story short, born in the UK, um, came over to Spain at the age of eight, played from the age of probably eight or nine to the age of 17, 18, at an academy level, um, wasn't tall enough for my position, played centre-back, probably wasn't mentally strong enough either to make it pro footballer, but went straight into volunteering as a coach, Struggled a lot with um, school and studies at the age, so coaching really brought me out, brought probably out the best out in me. So started yeah. as a volunteer, uh, went down to my club in uh, my dad's car and see what was going on there, see if we could see any professional clubs training and bumped into the academy, which um, just recalling the coaching director then, he said, if you ever want to coach here, you're going to have to do your level one and two. 
So I went back to the UK, did my one and two in the UK, came back to Spain, started coaching for Manga Club. Then I went into my B license and A license in Spain. Um, along that time, I was coaching a lot of grassroots clubs and became kind of like technical director of many like small local clubs, which gave me a lot of experience dealing with parents, dealing with other coaches, dealing with. So I was put through kind of like a lot of experiences at a very young age. And I think that's really built me to to what I've become now, really, which is is, is not much, but still just grasping those experiences and now using social media as well to network. Um, the Manga Club as well obviously has gone from starting as a coach to now um, becoming the head coach and dealing with a lot of coaches along the way. And just that experience, I think, between now and then has um, brought me to this point. So, yeah, pretty much that sums it up. No, no that's that's definitely awesome. All right, gentlemen, this dive right into uh, our topic and it's, it's game intelligence. Uh, so what I did is I gave, I gave our two guests uh, sort of like a reference game um, because I think this reference game was a, is a huge topic, uh, especially here in the United States. And that game was earlier this year in the ICC youth uh, tournament, which is a, 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 an ICC, there's an ICC for professional clubs every single summer in the United States, but also, Early in the year, ICC hold a youth tournament uh, for youth clubs of, uh, with clubs around the world, the best clubs around the world. And this particular game was a U14 girls game between uh, PDA, uh, um, Players Development uh, Club out of New Jersey, which is one of the strongest uh, girls youth clubs in the, in the country. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, internationals, like I think Tobin Heath came out of that, that club as well and a few others. Uh, they played in the final against uh, Barcelona, um, and then Barcelona beat them uh, 2-0 uh, in that game. So I, I shared this game with uh, with our guest today, just to talk, just to reference because I think the the, the main thing that came out in this game was um, sort of how obviously Barcelona have a strict uh, philosophy, and also PDA have a certain uh, philosophy, and how those two uh, sort of philosophies clash with each other. And ending up with Barcelona winning uh, 2-0. So let's, uh, you know, jump into the, the the topic here. I'll start with you, Coach uh, Harry. Uh, let's just talk about when we talk about game intelligence. What does it mean uh, to have, uh, you know, football or soccer game intelligence? What is game intelligence? Well, I believe it depends on perspective, because if we go into a senior and a professional level, um, a lot of people can relay game intelligence to the team that wins the game. Mm -hmm. And in the opposite contrast, if we talk about youth development, we talk about the experiences that youth players go through to become professional players, which isn't always winning the game. Yeah. So in the game that you referred to, I watched, um, I'm not going to say I watched the whole game because I didn't, but I did watch a long part of the game. And, um, you know, there's two very strong philosophies within the two teams and which one is game intelligence? which one is being intelligent inside the game. So you can refer to whoever wins that game being the most intelligent of the two, but it doesn't mean that neither of the two teams have or, you know, dominate game intelligence because at the end of the game, it's, at the end of the day as well, it's a, it's a collective sport. So their individuals each have their own game intelligence inside them. So it's how far in depth do you want to go in the topic? Mm, yeah, very, very, very good point. Um, for you, let's, so let's talk, you know, uh, Coach Ibra, let's talk 
game intelligence from a development standpoint, as coaches like to uh, sort of like assume every youth player is going through, but we, you know, we know especially very well in the United States that a lot of coaches like to say they're developing, but they're really coaching to win, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but game intelligence in the development of young players, what does that uh, mean to you, Coach Ibra? Um when I think of um, when I think of um, game uh, game intelligence, I usually think about a couple of things. I usually think about um, about I, I usually think about the idea of awareness. Okay, so just the idea of the idea of scanning. And I know when when that word comes up, when the word scanning comes up, we all the people that know the game, we're thinking about Xavi and the idea of checking your shoulders and being aware of the space around you and. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. Um, but I think scanning is obviously more than that. It's also being aware of what's going on when you have the ball. Uh, so one of the things that I talk a lot to my players about right now in this uh, in this new Zoom era, um, whenever we're working on all the technical the technical stuff, you know, all the moves that I'm sure you guys have seen a million times. I usually talk to them about the, the, those ideas about when you have the ball, can you be aware of, can you find the right moment to pick your head up so that you're not just stuck on the ball, but you also have an idea of what's going on around you and vice versa. Can you also make sure that while you are aware of what's going on around you, you also know where the ball is. Um, so, so, so the idea of awareness and, and, Scanning your environment, I think, is a is is a big part of of game intelligence. And I think the next the next idea, which is obviously linked to it, is the the decision making, right? So, based on what you see, you gotta make your decision based on what you see. Um, so I so I think those I think that's um that's that's the number two for me. The idea of deciding so you you scan your environment then you make your decisions maybe you really have just two options or three options maybe you really only have one um mm-hmm. the, the the next step for me um is the idea of the idea of creativity and deception um so it's it's sometimes what you what your decision is gonna is gonna be is, is sometimes it's just gonna be straightforward it's gonna be boom i receive it i have someone that's here there's no need to go crazy, I'm just going to make the simple play. I'm just going to make the efficient play. Um, sometimes it's going to require more. It's going to require sometimes uh, so, some creativity um, and some deception. And I, I think we, we saw that a lot in the game that, in the game that we watched um, in the PDA versus Barcelona game um, where you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of creativity from from the Barcelona players in the build-up. You know the idea of taking a touch with the outside of your foot, the idea of just the movement, um, going one way and then coming back the other way to receive the ball. Um, I think I think um, those ideas are, are also you know you can also clearly talk about game intelligence there as well. Um, and I think the, yeah. the and I think the the final step after adding those three things is is the execution of it, obviously. So you're going to you're going to take all those fa- all those elements that we talked about, and you're gonna factor them into your decision, and now decide, okay, I have all these things. This is what I'm gonna do. Can I execute it perfectly? And again, we saw that we we saw the level of execution in that game was uh, was you know was a uh, very. 
um it was it was it was proper it was it was good stuff yeah yeah no definitely coach uh uh harry you know we just heard coach Imbert talking about sort of like his uh his stages of of game intelligence let me ask you this question when do you when do you feel that you start uh uh, coaching um, sort of game intelligence within within players, and how do you define it with players who are just starting uh, to play soccer at a very young age? Well, I'm going to try and bounce off a few things that um, Ibra just stated, which one of them was awareness with what is around us. I think it's also important to be self-aware at the same time as having awareness of what's going on. And this jumps into your decision-making and also your execution because self-awareness, growing up and knowing what you're good at and growing up maybe what you're not so good at is equally important to actually know what's happening around you. At the end of the day, there's roles. At the end of the day, there's positions. And you, you know, no matter how much I try, I'm never going to be as as good as Michael Jordan playing basketball. You know, one one of the reasons I didn't probably make it the centre-back, apart from the fact that I wasn't meant to be tough enough, was the fact that I, I'm not one, you know, I'm not six foot two. And yeah. no matter how how much I try, I, won't, I probably won't be six foot two. So I think <laughs> yeah. knowing um, what we're good at and, you know, trying to really focus on what we are good at and being self-aware of the decisions we make need to be based on our capabilities. So I think there's a lot of players out there which are amazing, which a lot of people focus on. But there's also a good percentage of players which are professional, which are not great, which are good at doing certain things. And we also yeah. need to focus on them because, OK, we talk about Xavi, we talk about Iniesta, we talk about Messi, we talk about all these fantastic players. We're only talking about 5%. We're yeah, only talking about maybe true. 10% of the players worldwide that yeah. are making a living off professional football. So right. what about the other 95%? You know, and to me, I think like James Milner is a fantastic player and mm-hmm. people obviously don't rate him, even though he's been at some of the major clubs, Manchester City, Liverpool. Um, and he's been, where else was he before that? Oh, that's going to kill me. But anyway, he's been at some major clubs and played some really, really important games. And with or without him, we might not have acknowledged it. But if you look at his stats, what he manages to do and the ground he covers and um, the balls that he wins back, I think he was, I think if it was the Champions League where they got to the final where they lost, he was one of the players that made the most assists in the whole Champions League. So we're talking about players that are self-aware. doesn't mean that they know more or less about what what is happening around them but they're very self-aware of what their capabilities are. And, Mm. you know, a defender, a centre-back or a right-back might not know how to play in tight spaces his whole career at a perfection, but he might be a really good right-back or he might be a really good centre-back. And, you know, I I don't think like globalising all the players into knowing how to do everything perfectly is helping Mm. him out at all because you take a role in the team and knowing how to be the best you can be in your role to complement the team is equally intelligent as knowing what colour yeah. the iPad is flicking while you're receiving a ball turning right. and shooting in a skills net into the top corner. I think 
that there needs to be a balance. And what we're, what we're getting to now is obviously to do with this lockdown as well, is it's all about the technique because that's all, all we've got on right now. I mean, social media, there's not a capability of doing any contact sport, but right. there's very intelligent players out there that help their team a lot. And if we focus on that Barcelona PDA um, team game, we can see that there's a right back in Barcelona that's playing at a fantastic level that probably doesn't make many mistakes and, you know, has enough awareness as she needs to have. If you put her yeah. in centre midfield, she might not look like a fantastic player and right. she might not fit into that team because number eight, which was the captain, had a different type of awareness, yes. which is 360 degree degrees, that she has to have in that position. A right back doesn't need the same awareness. So one is, okay, awareness is important, but depending on the perspective of where I'm playing at. And then two, if I go into um, decision-making and executing, I need to make the decision based on what I can execute. I might not want to put the cross in if I've got somebody next to me that can put a better execution of cross in. So my decision yeah. is always going to be dependent on what's around me and who I have next to me and what options I have. Yeah. So, you know, I could put a cross in, it could be a bad cross, but it might be a bad decision. It might not be a bad execution. It might be the decision. I, or I can make a great decision and the execution is terrible. And it yeah. looks like it made a mistake, but it's, it's, it's the right decision. It's just the wrong execution. So yeah. it's where you balance and where you believe in. And if you, we go into coaching now, I think it's really that, especially in youth development. It's knowing and understanding the decisions the players are making rather than seeing the outcome of the execution. Ah, oh, very good point. Very good point. On that, uh, Coach Ibra, I, I literally wrote it as well in terms of, you know, balancing, uh, developing um, sort of the general aspects of an individual player and then the specific attributed aspects of that certain player. How do you, how do you uh, balance that too, uh, uh, Coach Ibra? Because a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, coaches in um, sort of that are coaching in youth sports uh, tend to uh, make, you know, we make all players play different positions so they can, uh, you know, develop a, sort of like awareness of different positions. Obviously, we make them, you know, we train them two-footed so they can be two-footed so they're able right. to play with two both feet and all this stuff. But how do we balance uh, developing a player individually so they're capable of playing the game and then playing the game at their specific strong attributes and then obviously strengthening the weaknesses as well? Um, I know, first of all, I love, I love the point that, um, that Harry made about, um, about self-awareness and, um, and essentially knowing, knowing what you're good at. This is something that I, you know, I, I love to talk about with my players um, in terms of just uh, making sure that they're aware of their strengths because I think too many times um, we do spend a lot of time focusing on, on weaknesses instead of, you know, instead of um, focusing on, on, on sharpening strengths. Um, yeah. So I, 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 you know, I think that's a, I think that's a very, very good point that, that um, Harry made and it, it, it needs to be highlighted. And, um, and what I would say is, um, is I think it's, it's important for, for every coach to, um, to 
have those ideas in mind um, to work with. The keyword, the keyword for me, um, H and Harry, the keyword for me is the idea of of being efficient. Um, I think that's the key word for me. That's one of the biggest things that I, I try to address with kids, uh, you know, and, 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 it's, uh, and I do it in many different ways. Um, again, using, uh, using Zoom as an example, because that's, that's a reality now. Um, you know, what my, my kids would often hear me uh, yell in the, in, the, in the microphone a lot, the idea of being great at the simple things. Um, so just the idea of, listen, I'm not going to show you a move where you get to do 20 step overs and 15 scissors, because realistically that looks very cool, but how efficient is that in the game? Right. So, so, so the idea of, listen, Messi is not great at 20 different moves. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not. The reality is he has two or three go-to moves. And those are the moves that he's able to consistently use in a very efficient way, in a very effective way, and he's able to be the player that he is based on that. And I think I think the same can be said of 90 to 95 players. You can you can really count the number of players at the highest level that are great at everything. Um, I, I, I really don't think that there's such a thing. Um, and so... The idea for me is, um, you know, in the I think in the in the design of your sessions, um, but just as importantly in your coaching, I think those ideas need to be reinforced. Um, the idea of of efficiency. Um, this is another question that I like to ask my players sometimes, and it's um, you know I like to put it to to players this way because it makes them think about it and it, it makes them understand a little bit the concept. I usually ask my players, listen, if you have a player that's coming to play in this team, the player wants to come and join your team. If that you have you have two players that are coming, you have player A and player B. If player A can do something with two touches and player B can do the same thing with 10 touches, who do you want? And the answer, as you guess, is is usually obviously player A. Um, so I think I think the idea of of efficiency is something that um, that every coach should find a way to include in uh, you know in in the the coaching sessions. Um, and it's and and I think that's important as well in the in the design of the sessions. Um, you know, people people coach different ways. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of um, I'm a big fan of the of the Tovo approach. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have heard about the Tovo approach and, and Todd Bean. Yeah, with Todd Bean. Ex yeah. Exactly. And um, personally, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that approach. I'm a big fan of the idea of, and I, and I think that that's, I think that, that what a great way to coach game intelligence, um, because I think that, you know, sadly, and and that's, that's my opinion of it. We may all have different opinions, but I, I do think that, um, you know, the, the, the focus in the United States, usually in most sessions that I see, at least, I, is I feel like there's a strong emphasis on on the technical side and the physical side of the game, and and not so much the the game intelligence aspect of it. And when we see when we see the teams at the highest level, and we see some of those teams have the success that they can have with players that have 
very high a very high game IQ I think it's uh, I think that it's a, it's an important part of the game that that's really underrated in the US and I think that coaches in general um, you know because we are the people who are in, in charge obviously of putting sessions I think this is something that coaches really need to spend more time to think about how can I put something that's going to um, get players to mm-hmm. have to make decisions, right? I mean, coaching is a, a soccer is a dynamic game. It's not the type of game where you want, you know, where you're gonna have a chance to like hit the pause button or like you know call a timeout and go and like yeah. you, you're not gonna have to do that. So you you have to train players to be able to make decisions on the spot and live with the alcohol, yeah. right? Like like decisions are. This is another message that I love to give my players. I tell them right away before the game. That like, listen, you guys are going to make mistakes. Like, it's not, don't be shocked. You, you are absolutely going to make mistakes. You are absolutely going to turn the ball over. You are absolutely going to have that pass that you want to have back because it's going to be intercepted or whatever. Just just get that in your head right away that that's going to happen. But the, the best way to deal with that, you also have to think about how am I going to react when that happens. Um, yeah. So it's um, I think I think that it's uh, it's it's my it's my little rant, but it's um, that's that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where I am with the idea of, of, no, of definitely with the idea of game intelligence. We need to we need to be more intentional um, in in teaching this in in putting this idea in, in in our sessions so that you know so that kids can be can be impacted that way can be impacted by it in a positive way. Yeah, definitely. Um, Coach Harry, you heard Coach Ibra talk about being intentional about about forcing players to be a little bit more cognitive uh, in the in the game. How do you how do you insert that type of teaching uh, in a in a session when you create exercises uh, through your coaching points, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, I think it's 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 more easy than people. Are making it. I think now there's a massive era of complexity. So if we go back in the day, if we go back in history, some of the most, you know, the amazing players that we're seeing now, they were brought up in terrible conditions with yeah. no one-on-one coaching sessions, no yeah. reduced group technification stuff, no all this, you know, they weren't brought up in these you know, glorified conditions. And I was, I just wrote down here, history. History tells us that playing the game is what teaches the game. Yeah. And what we're finding now is you've got, and when I went to the US, I was quite surprised because I was there in January. I was just amazed by the amount of, I'm going to say BS there was around the whole, you know, game. You know, it's about playing it. You know, you've got, there's, there's more interaction there with a tech ball, you know, with a tech board, which is this like foot tennis kind of stuff that they do in Brazil, which you've got to pass yeah. the ball over the net and it's yeah, like a little, the, yeah, it's like a yeah. ping pong table, you know, like yeah, there's the more interaction with that yeah. when a five aside or a three aside game, right. you know, what teaches you how to play soccer or football is playing soccer or football. Yeah. And you've got coaches coming up with all these drills which is so far away from the context of the game. So we're training them to dribble through cones when in a match we're 
we're asking them to dribble with their head up looking for a pass. It does not make sense. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. We're, we're training them to take shots with no pressure and on full balance. And then we're putting them in a game scenario and complaining that they missed the target when they were under a little bit of pressure from the defender. The scenarios yeah. we're putting them in training are nothing like the scenarios that they have to deal with in the match. It's simple as that. Yeah. So what everybody's doing as a main part of the session needs to be reduced and used as a warm-up, you know, get them moving, have a little bit of a technical activity for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes at max. And the rest of the game needs to be conditioned matches or matches until they understand what they are playing. Mm. We can't be separating the game and, and going into detail in different areas of the game when they don't even understand the game. Yeah. They don't understand yeah. the basic principles of the game and we're trying to teach them more complex principles of the game. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. So what we're doing is, like in Brazil, Argentina, even in Spain, until the age of 10, they play five-a-side indoor football, which is a very with a smaller ball, smaller goals, smaller pitch, and you create more participation. You create a lot more touches on the ball. It's a more technical-based game. And, you know, now that's fading away in Spain and they're making a huge mistake. They're trying to make the players and these teams so professional already. You know, they want to kind of like skip the whole development phase. They want to skip the experiences. They want to skip the, you know, they just want, to, want it to happen. They want the new kid at 14 years old to be the next, you know. I mean, one, there's too much pressure that they can't manage. Two, they're not understanding the full game. Three, they're not blooming enjoying it. And half of them, when they get to the age of 16, 17, they say, I want to leave, I want to quit because, you know, I'd rather do something that I want to become a YouTuber because, you know, it's less stress. It's yeah. less, um, you know, less effort. Instead of going to training and playing the game, I'm going to training and having to do 1,000 push-ups. How that makes yeah. you a better player, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you a better player. So, you know, at a certain point, players go to soccer training or players go to training to play the game. If the main part of your game is doing something completely different or, you know, dribbling through cones and shooting at empty goals or one-on-ones -on -one with, one -on with the keeper, you're, you're not playing the game that they're there for. You're training yeah. on specific training that I believe you need to do from maybe 14, 15 years onwards when they fully understand what they're doing. Mm, that's a very good point there. I'll start on you, Coach Harry. Something you said earlier when you're talking about uh, awareness and self-reflection uh, self was is, is players understanding um, in their self-awareness of, of their capabilities and what they don't uh, are capable to do. So when a player is in a position or a situation where they're forced to make a decision uh, and the decision... Uh, in order to execute is something that they're not able to do. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it gives you information about that player. But from a player's point of view, how how does how do they sort of like encode that information? And and then what type of decisions do they make after that uh, being in that situation? Um, and from a coaching point of view as well, what do you do with players who do not have that capability of executing? 
you know, the different situation that they find themselves in the game? I think, well, first of all, we need to understand why they're not executing. So is it because of lack of strength? Is it because of lack of technique? Is it lack of ability? Is it just lack of experience? So we need to understand the why. The first reason before even shouting, complaining or, you know, giving feedback to that player, we need to see if it happens more often than not. The amount of coaches that are jumping on somebody's back or a player's back for making one mistake where you, you might have just, you know, just had a bad moment, which we can all do. We can all have, you know, it's, it's okay. Does that situation happen again and again and again after a week and another week and another week? Okay. So we need to deal with it. How do we deal with it? Well, first we need to understand why, you know, he's making the right decision, but right now he isn't developed enough to make that long pass. Okay. Yeah. That will come with growth. So do we need to attack that situation? Do we need to attack that decision making and make him into a player um, that's more safe, that doesn't lose us the ball, but then we're crippling him on the other side of maybe becoming the next David Beckham. Right. You know, this is the thing, you know, that the same, same likewise, a player beats one player, beats a second player, losing it against the third. What does the coach say? Oh, we shouldn't have tried to beat the third. Why not? Why? Because, we, we, you know, how are we going to create the next Messi or the next Maradona is it just, do they believe he's going to be born and just naturally beat three players every single year he goes up into the senior level? It's not yeah. going to happen. There's going to be mistakes in the process. So how, um, as a player, obviously, I can't really remember when I was at a young age, but I think that we have a massive role as coaches on how we deal with each one of these, you know, mistakes and errors and how far, you know, what the club objectives are and what the club's demands are. At the same time, you've got to think that, you know, that player honestly needs to know he made a mistake and maybe his strength will not be long passing. You know, there's a fine line between the two. So I think we need to first understand what age that player's at. You know, so if he's making long passes at the end of 16 and, you know, the execution is going everywhere, well, maybe it's not a case of technique or ability. Maybe it's just a case of the decision making he's making in the moments that he's making them. So where where does that where does the outcome come from? If he's eight years old, you know the same. It's not going to be the. It shouldn't be the same response. That player from eight until sixteen has got eight years of development. Where that right. long pass, which can be exactly the same long pass, obviously on a smaller pitch and smaller dimensions, at the age of sixteen he could be pinging them left, right, and centre, and 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 be one of the biggest assist makers of the whole league and yeah. go on to become God knows who. So it's it's not crippling the player when he's eight years old, but then I think when he's 16, 15, you know, being honest with that player and really um, trying to make him understand what his strengths are and how he can become the best that he can become. Yeah, no, definitely. Great points. Coach Ibra, uh, we, we, you know, Coach Harry just talk, talked about assessing uh, uh, the individual player's uh, capability, decision-making, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And obviously, players. We've we've said before the self awareness. You said yourself that that's something to be highlighted. How do how do you uh, marry the individual game intelligence of a player, and then the collective game intelligence of the team? How do you marry those two as a coach? I'm sorry, Coach H. I couldn't hear the end of your of your question. Could you repeat? One no, more sorry, time? no, no problem. I said, um, uh, how do we? How do you uh, sort of find the the balance, or how do you marry the word I use? Is marry is uh, the individual game intelligence of a player, which we've been uh, kind of talking about a lot here, and then also 
the collective game intelligence of the team? How do you marry those together? Is it through through tactics, philosophy? How do you do that? Um, I think, um, Coach H, I think it's it's um, through a combination of a, of of some of the elements that you talked about and and other things as well. I think obviously we we talked about the idea of of um, being efficient. I think you have to um, just to add to what um, Coach Harry said. I think you also have to, as a coach, you also have to be um, open to the idea that. Um, on a on a on a field and in this particular game, there is there are usually more than one solution to a problem. Okay, um, I think that it's um, when we when we when we work with kids, we absolutely have to be aware of that. We have to know that yeah. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna switch the field, I may have that player that's capable to do it straight yeah. with the with with the outside of the foot. I may have that player that can't do that, but that can do it in his own way, right? That can do it maybe um, as in, you know, as a pass to the inside of the foot. Uh, yeah. You know, and it, it's it's the same. You could say the same thing about a lot of different problems on the on the field. It's um, I you know, I wanna I wanna use the example of of for example the legendary Cruyff, who you know who has a quote I think that. Basically explains how um, he, he he didn't created a cartoon, right, yeah, right. He, and, and so he talks about that. He talks about the idea of hey, listen, I didn't I didn't just uh, I didn't learn this move and work on it a thousand times before I used before I used it. I just ended up in a situation where I had to come up with this move to get out. And now there's a whole move that's named after him, and now everybody's working yeah. on this move. Right, so I think yeah, I, I yeah. so I think that coaches also have to be aware of that. They have to be aware of the fact that one problem in soccer there is ten, sometimes as many as ten different solutions to the problem. And so because of that, we need to we need to give every kid that individual, you know, that individual respect of hey, solve the problem with what works for you. And and what works for you may not work for the other player, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. If you if you solve this problem with a curve turn and that's what works for you, that's what works for you. It works for the team as well because it's not stopping the flow of the game and it's allowing us to be efficient in the play. Right, I'm using this move. That's the move that works for me, and I'm still able to keep us going forward and attacking. Then, why should I, as a coach, step in and say, "Hey, you didn't do this right because you didn't use move X, and you decided to move to use move, you know, move Y instead?" When clearly, what you did worked for yourself, and you also worked for the collective. So, I think that I think that has to be the that that has to be the approach. I think people need to. Look at the game, um, you know, and I think that I think maybe that's that's what what is not happening as much in the U.S. Um, I can only speak for the U.S. because that's a landscape that that I'm familiar with. I think, yeah, I think that people need to look at the game more as a more as a big picture, and and more with the idea that it's 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 football is an invasion game. It's an invasion game, and it's it's the idea of exploiting space 
is is huge. It's huge. Now we're just talking about all all the other debates is just us talking about how we're gonna do it, right? Like, are we gonna do it with the movement? Are we gonna do it with the dribbling? Are we gonna do it with the passing? But I think people need to have coaches need to have that big picture in mind. The idea yeah. is 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 space. How are we gonna exploit space to be able to go forward and score? And now when we're working with that big picture, I think it becomes a little bit easier to to you know one you know treat people as individual and not trying to not trying to teach one technique and say this is the all and be all. This is the this is the only way to do it. And if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. Right. Yeah. I think we need to be a little bit more open-minded with those ideas. But then of yeah. course you also have to consider the collective because it's not, it's not, you know, it's it's the type of game that's obviously everybody is affected by everybody's actions. So yeah. so in, in the coaching, and again, I keep going it, I keep going to it, but in the session design as well, because I think the way you go in and design your your sessions, I think uh, Coach Harry talked about using constraints earlier. The constraints, the type of constraints that you're gonna have in your session, is also going to dictate, you know, those those uh, those concepts and, and and those and those decisions. You know, it's uh, okay. uh, uh, again when I when I work with my teams, I, I often tell them that I often tell them, listen, the end goal is obviously we have a concept of building from the back. I think most teams nowadays do, um, but it's it's I talk to them about this idea of listen. We want to go from the goalkeeper to the forward or from the from the center back to the forward, right? There's many ways to do it, obviously. If you can do it in one passes, two passes or three passes, do you think that you should do it? Let's be efficient with it. Let's get the ball there. If you need, if you can't do it with as few passes, but you can do it with six, seven or eight passes, then let's go that route as well. So coaches, I think, in the idea of problem solving, I think that we need to be, we need to have that approach with players of, listen, there's many different ways to solve this problem. Let's work on it and let's find out what works for you, for us, us as a collective, right? You as an individual, but us as a collective as well to be able to get there. Yeah, no, definitely. Gentlemen, I, you know, I really thank you for your time. And as we close down, I'll, let me end by asking this question, Coach Harry. Um, a lot of people uh, sort of put they they pin playing the Barcelona way, which they uh, assume that that is the most game intelligent way of playing, uh, versus playing sort of like the way soccer is played in the United States, where which is very direct and and prioritize athleticism, speed, strength, and etc. etc. Uh, earlier on in the beginning, you you basically spoke about how both of them are in in their own right uh game intelligence uh let's talk about let's let's compare those two uh for us um quickly because i think a lot of coaches especially in the united states are being told uh or getting pressured from media whatever pundits uh you know editors of articles and stuff like that that we need to change the way we play so that it's more uh, and I use a quote everlasting. Uh, it's it, because you you know you can get uh, you, when you get older you can get slower, but the brain playing you know cognitively you know can stay with you for for many many years. 
just compare the two for us and how you see it being an outsider. And then also talk about which, in your opinion, which one you feel is more um, is more valuable in the, in the long run. Well, if we're talking about development of players, it depends what what age group we're we've got and how long we're going to be with them. Okay, and this is something. There's a lot of you know. There's a lot of points that we could take from this question, but um, taking it from from just a sense of if I teach a, teach a new philosophy or a new culture or a new way of playing, that takes time. The question is, do we have that time? That's the question. Because yeah. if I teach you how to make five different decisions or I tell you to make one, it's always going to be easier just to make that same decision over and over again. Now, that's kind of like what they say in the UK, the extreme of lump it and chase it. So yeah. you lump the ball, you chase after it, and you hope for a mistake. That's, to be honest, a lot easier having, it's like um, what I was talking about with a mate of mine the other day. It's the kiss effect. Keep it simple, stupid. So if we keep it simple, stupid, everybody understands what we need to do. If, yeah. if I go out to a Champions League final and I can say Inter Milan against Bayern Munich, for example, a few years back, Mourinho had a clear, clear plan how to win the Champions League final. And Bayern Munich had a lot of different ways of winning the game. Yeah. But the clear message, and this is what it comes to, where are we with the kids? What is better? You've got philosophies, for example, in, in Spain, and this is the mistake they've made, is if we grow and develop players through the same pathway or through the same philosophy for 10 years, when they get to 18, they're only going to be able to play one way. Yeah. You know, what happens if that player's sold? Or what happens if by the time he gets to 18, another manager comes in with a whole new philosophy? Yeah. Our our goal and mission as coaches is to put them through all the different experiences. So I believe you've got to know how to play a Catanaccio style of football one day in your life. You know, I'm not saying you have to do it every single day, but you've got to know what that feels like, what it is to be on the pitch and how to deal with those situations. Because you might be put in that scenario when you become pro and yeah. you have to know how to deal with it. You know, if every single day of my life from the age of eight to the age of 18, I'm playing out from the back, I'm doing it exactly the same way. What happens when I'm brought um, across seas or whatever and I get put into a whole different scenario? I'm not going to be able to adapt. So are we preparing that player for all the different outcomes or are we just preparing that player for one club and one philosophy? I think developing the same likewise in life, you know, you have to be put through a lot of different scenarios and they're always not good looking. Let's just call it. Yeah. But they make you and they, they, they kind of like create a self-awareness of what you're good at. Because there is players that wouldn't be able to play playing out from the back. I mean, you've got Cellini, which is probably one of the best centre-backs ever who, who plays with Bayern Munich, and Barzagli, that plays next to him. And, okay, they play quite an attractive style at Juventus, but the whole of their life, they've played the Italian style, you know, and they're not playing out from the back and they're not going to be remembered as PK. But if I had a decision to make between having PK and Cellini in my team, I'm not sure who I will pick. Right. You know, this is the this is the thing. So at the end of the day, 
Is Lampard and Chasing it better football? No, it's a start of football and it needs to be respected and we need to know how to play it and what advantages and disadvantages it has. Is playing out from the back the best style and the only style of playing football? No, it's a style of football that we need to know the advantages and disadvantages. You know why? Because there's a lot of coaches out there at the same time that are training kids at the age of 12, 13, 14 that haven't had the preparation necessary to play out from the back because they want to feel like they're Pep Guardiola and they're getting mm. hammered 7-0. Right, yeah. And the players don't understand why they carry on doing it because the end goal of the game, even though it's, you know, we can focus more or less on development, you play a game to try and compete. If we're going every weekend and we're playing the same style of football and we're losing 7-0, then 3-0, then 4-0, then 6-0, then it doesn't matter how beautiful it looks. It's probably not looking good because you're losing the ball and conceding us after transition. But the most yeah. important thing we should take from it is we need to adapt to the circumstances and we need to teach players to bring out what's best of them to try and compete in the game when they get to the age of 18. So they need to go through all the experiences. And the, the, another thing, and I'm just going to finish off with this one. If we do decide to go with one style or the other, which they're all respectful because they're all playing the game and it's inside the laws of the game. So they're all respectful. There's not one way that's fantastic and one way that's awful. They're all, you know, we see professional football teams that are in Champions League that play styles of football that are not amazing. You know, I mean, Atletico Madrid. Do I like watching them? No. Is their style respectful? Yes. Yeah. You know, even though you don't agree that you would do that at home. But what we should make sure is, and this is what Atletico do a lot, they train the way they style the play. So when you are putting in your training sessions, try and relate it to what they're going to encounter on the right. weekend. Yeah, you know, there's no, no point in doing all these rondos and playing out from the back. And then the weekend, no, let's try and win and let's lump it and chase it. Because it just right. you might as well practice what you're going to work on. So at least you, you're getting the best out of your players. Yeah, no, definitely. Just definitely. be honest with what you're trying to do. That's all I've got to say. No, that definitely makes sense. And I think a lot of a lot of coaches need to understand because, you know, especially, and it happens in, in coaching education, uh, you know, depending on which federation you're going through, where a lot of federations kind of, you know, fix fixated on, on a certain way and then they force uh, coaches to, to learn uh, within those margins. And I think it actually hurts uh, coaches in the long run more than uh, more than it hurts uh, them actually hurting the game as well. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. We've we've only barely sketched the surface on a topic that you know we can write uh, an encyclopedia about. But um, I'm glad that you gave uh, our listeners a couple of insights on on how to coach the game, what to see, what to encode, and how to relay the message to your players. I thank you uh, so much uh, coming onto the show and. And uh, good luck to you guys, to both of you as uh, hopefully things open up uh, in, the, in the near future and you guys can get back on the field. Coach H, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks H. Appreciate thank it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invite, mate. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VAR Booth Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and share with your colleagues.